This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation. One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. Thank you for spending 30 minutes of your precious time with us as today we discuss the politics of Boston. On Tuesday, Boston voters will make a historic choice when they choose one of two women of color as their next mayor. For two centuries, white men have been the mayors in Boston, and this marks a historic shift in a city that was known for angrily opposing busing integration and housing integration in the 1970s. With us today is Dr. Aaron O'Brien of the University of Massachusetts Boston Political Science Department. Hello, Dr. O'Brien. Hello, hello. Well, thank you for coming on. So this is an amazing, uh, amazingly historic election for two centuries. White men have been mayors in Boston, but on Tuesday, voters will select a woman of color to be the next mayor in the city. How big of a race has this been? It has been huge, but it, it's actually sort of interesting. There's been a divergence, sort of the the chattering class, which I hate to say about myself, but the chattering class and people really interested in politics have been wildly excited about this. Um, the primary featured five candidates, all of whom were of color, three in, who uh, identified as black. And turnout was incredibly low in the primary. So there's this weird thing. Boston's so pumped about this race. There's so much conversation. Um, but the voters haven't shown up at the polls quite as much, though that can certainly change um, on Election Day. So you are a daughter of Boston. Uh, you have a bit grown up there. Um, I didn't. No, you didn't. I'm sorry. Oh, you are. See, why did they say that? Why did they? Because say my name's Erin O'Brien. Think oh, that all the time. Go. So, yeah, just by just by. But default, my grandparents baby. are from here. My dad ah, grew up there in Massachusetts, so there. I have Massachusetts roots. <laughs> all right, there you go. I am a Bostonian with Buckeye pride. <laughs> That's right. The race has been fascinating to me because of the Boston's reputation as it pertains to busing and housing. I remember reading the book. I guess it was the last hurrah back in the seventies, and about uh, South Boston just violently opposing uh, busing and then uh, I know in with the housing situation when they were when they were doing segregation there or, or integration mm-hmm. there I'm sorry they were using police escorts so um, how does this stack up with that reputation is there an intent to get rid of that definitely I mean that uh, that's a reputation Boston um, um, maintains but it's definitely one the city wants to move away from. But, you know, this race, one of the challenging things is uh, Mayor Walsh, former Mayor Walsh, entered um, Joe Biden's cabinet. And Kim Janey, who is our acting mayor, is a black woman and came from the city council. And she did not make it to the final two, nor did Andrea Campbell, a black woman. John Barros um, also did not make it. And the two candidates left uh, identify as Arab and Asian. And so it's such a good news story for Boston in terms of I teach women in politics, having a woman at the helm and having a woman of color at the helm. But it is not a black woman at the helm. And you asked specifically about um, Saudi's history on busing. 
um, uh, professional sports history when it comes to Boston and the reputation of the town. So, it, it, you know, it's a good news story, but there are caveats that a lot of Bostonians were really hoping that one of the black candidates would make it through. What happened is they really divided the vote and Mayor Janey had some fairly a lot of white liberals were with her. Um, but she had some controversial statements about um, vaccine mandates and cards, comparing it to birtherism and Jim mm-hmm. Crow. Now, she walked that back. She walked mm-hmm. it back, which mm-hmm. is very important to say. But I think a lot of uh, white liberals, as a result, took a, a, a deeper look at her and went with one of the other quality candidates. We had a real embarrassment of riches in the primary. It must have been incredibly disappointing for the black voters and the black um, political um, veterans because here they are, they're working to this day and the vote splits. And I was in Baltimore, I covered Baltimore and and we had a big open mayor's race Mm -hmm. in 99. Same thing happened to very qualified black candidates. Um, And um, the the, the white candidate won with the majority of the vote. But um, I, I guess it's not unreal to think that there's going to be a split in the black vote like there would be a split in a white voter or anything like that but it must have been pretty disappointing for everyone yes to all of those things (laughs) (laughs) um you know it was wildly disappointing uh and it's also the case that it's good news for boston that um there's room for more than just one black candidate Tito Jackson ran against um, Mayor Walsh in 17 and he lost and he lost pretty dramatically. Um, And so there was a move afoot in Boston to say, hey, um, uh, Andrea Campbell and Mayor Janey were the two that really got the the lion's share of the vote. They each ended up with 19 percent in a five way race. And a lot of um, black activists said, hey, uh, one of you need to drop out. Because mm-hmm. then you'd be assured to make yep. it to the general election. Mm-hmm. But, th- and that makes sense mathematically, they're right. But if you're <laughs> Mayor Janey or you're Andrea Campbell, you're right. Like, you're right. That makes sense. Now you drop out, not me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't think, I think it's an unfair representation to say we're not choosing um, in this primary election, we're not choosing between a, a black female and another candidate because of racism alone. That's not what happened here in Boston. Does mm-hmm. racism play a part? A hundred percent. But it's also the case that there were three quality black candidates that split the vote and together reached almost 50 percent. Um, and the mayor, uh, the acting mayor, really misstepped um, when it came to how she typified COVID uh, vaccines or mandates. And, and that that's that's me. I mean, it's fascinating because one misstep these days. I mean, social yeah. media, the, the, the media is just there and it's just uh, on one. So we have two uh, council members, Michelle Wu, who is the daughter of Taiwanese immigrants. And then we have uh, Anissa Asabi George, whose uh, parents are one, I guess, one Arab and she identifies as Arab American and one of Polish descent. Tell us a little bit about them. You know, they're like you said, they're both daughters of immigrants. Uh, Anissa Savi George is born and raised in Boston, and I share that because um, that's a big deal in Boston. And there was a kerfuffle, if you will, um, during the campaign about that. Uh, Michelle Wu is originally from Chicago uh, and has moved here, a real uh, success story. Um, she's 36, she raised her sisters. Anissa Sabi George in Dorchester, for listeners who don't know uh, the neighborhoods of Boston, mm-hmm. Dorchester is uh, Saudi-esque. 
in terms of being, uh, it, 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 it could not have been easy to have an Arab parent when she was growing up in Dorchester. They're both city councilors. They both run um, at large. We have at large and district city councilors. Michelle Wu is someone who won. She actually beat Anissa. Not, uh, yeah, she beat uh, um, Ayanna Presley. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they take the top four, but she was a top vote getter even over Ayanna Presley. Uh, Anissa Sabi Georgia has also run citywide, but in one, but not as effectively. In terms of policy, you know, Boston's a democratic town. So, you know, if your listeners are from Kansas, these people would not look familiar. Right. Sure. Um, because the debate in Boston is between, you know, the moderate and progressive lanes. Mm-hmm. But uh, with uh, Wu being the progressive and Anissa Sabi George being uh, the moderate. Um, but these are of the Democratic Party. And in a lot of states and localities, Anissa Sabi George would be viewed as very progressive. Mm-hmm. But in Boston, it's sort of a who can out progressive the <laughs> other in this particular race. <laughs> uh, but but really George is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The, the yeah. issues that are differentiating them are um, the police uh, mm-hmm. and housing. Uh, the, there's a huge affordability crisis in the city. People simply can't afford to live here. Uh, Michelle Wu has said, uh, advocated for rent control. Anissa Sabi George, whose husband is a developer, says, no, that's ridiculous. It won't bring rents down. Um, they're different on the police in gradations. Anissa Sabi George wants to add more community police officers. And she really, um, wraps it up in the notion of community policing. Uh, Michelle was a little bit more comfortable with the defund the police narratives. Um, And those have really been two of the biggest differences amongst them. But after that, you're sort of in the weeds to say they're very, very different. Oh, I left out one. Uh, Michelle wants to free the tea. The the tea is our subway system here. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as a matter of equity, she wants to make it free. And Anissa Sabi George says uh, that is the tea is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And uh, that would only make a nightmare worse. It's almost like a national issue campaign, you know, with the defund, more police. Yeah. Um, and uh, how is the police situation in Boston right now? I mean, that's kind of the front burner of every uh, city of America. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mayor, uh, to go back a little bit, Mayor Janie, when when Marty Walsh was leaning, leaving office, um, uh, Putley put in uh, a commissioner. A commissioner was found to have some domestic violence allegations. And so part of the reason Mayor Janie um, sort of slipped in the polls is she was handled uh, a pretty difficult crisis. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say compared to other um, big cities in the United Mm -hmm. States, and that's a big comparison, right? It might be a low bar, but compared to other big cities in the United States, we did not have, we definitely had marches for Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. and social justice, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but uh, the the relationship between the police and citizens has not been as wrought as some Mm -hmm. other areas. Uh, And so, but nonetheless, you're right. It's sort of, some of these issues are very national. And that has to do in part, if you live in New England, arguably, arguably, the mayor of Boston is the most important elected office. Yes. You might say the governor of Massachusetts, mm-hmm. but as goes Boston, 
goes the region, goes New England. Mm -hmm. So we have such an outsized influence in the region that it does make sense that Massachusetts politics or Boston politics would become some national focus. But they are in on the micro too. There's a intersection in Boston, Mass Ave, uh, Mass and Cass is what people call it. And it, it, <laughs> it's free yeah. to see Mass and Cass. I Mass and Cass. Um, <laughs> and, and it's so, I don't even think of it as that like Boston until I say it out loud. <laughs> It's great. It's the <laughs> three, three second attention span of people. You got to get right to it. Come on. Right. Go ahead. And, and just major addiction issues, homeless issues. Um, uh, it's just unsafe. And it's been uh, it's been a real, real problem for a long time. And both these women uh, want to really dig into that issue. And there are differences amongst them there. So I gave you sort of the the big ticket items that, that were more great. national, that but that great. issue at yeah. Mass and Cass and Free the Tea are yeah. definitely local um, right. issues that have people paying a lot of attention. So the public housing, the housing issue is in, is is important because when you talk homelessness and you talk housing, they're kind of interrelated. And I know George has really stressed um, attacking the homeless problem and the feeling about the high rents in housing is that it really penalizes minority residents. So how is the homeless problem there? Is it is it really, you know, out of hand kind of thing? No. Uh, I mean, any homeless, if you're homeless, it's deeply out problematic, right? But compared to other major cities, we don't have the same kind of um, homeless issue. What we do have is an affordability crisis. It, it, it's impossible to live in Boston. You know, I think like uh, a two bedroom apartment and the average rent is like $3,200. I'm from Ohio. That is yeah, ridiculous. Sure, sure. You know, yeah. um, and so I, I think the way housing has been talked about is a lot more about affordability mm -hmm. and developers coming in and, you know, building the luxury high rises and forcing long term renters out. Um, and you know, especially during the pandemic, the working poor can't afford to live in the city they work in. Right. So it's been more about affordability than homelessness. The homelessness yeah. issue has been in the fore the most when it comes to this inner um, intersection where, mm -hmm. you know, there's just open drug use and mm -hmm. a lot of people in the throes of addiction. Mm -hmm. And is that a visible intersection? I mean, is that something yes. everybody knows? Yeah, that's it's that's, everybody. Yeah. It's yeah. off one of the major highways. Oh, it's yeah. Coming out of the south yeah. end, yeah. going into the medical district. It is right. a major, major intersection. Huge. Uh, Boston gets has a bad reputation for traffic and drivers. Yes. Mass and Cass is an exemplar of it. <laughs> you know, I was in there with my friend, my good friend, Joda Bear. We called him Joda Bear. And we were driving downtown in Boston and gotten entangled in that knot. He got out of the car. He just got out of the car and said, <laughs> I'm not driving. And just right there in the middle of the street. All right, Joda Bear, I got it. But anyway, um, the other He's thing. He's not the first. <laughs> He's not the first. Everybody does it in the morning. All right, everybody out of the car. But um, the, the thing that is driving this race and, and the fact that we do have two women of color is the Democrat demographics of Boston, and it really mirrors the demographics of a lot of cities. Uh, the white population is down to about 45% for the first time, under 50%. Um, and uh, I grew up in Philadelphia, and it was the same thing in, in the 80s and 90s. And then you're having the gentrification, the influence of the, of the um, you know, well-schooled, college-educated young professionals uh, coming in. And um, is, is that really been the driver? of the of the change in those being elected 
Largely, yes, but with some uniquely Boston twist. Um, Boston, uh, Massachusetts is uh, absolutely middle of the pack, 25th in terms of electing women to higher office. Wow. And so, right, Massachusetts, liberal Massachusetts is bad at electing women and really bad at electing women of color. So that is part of what's going on here that um, and it's because the it's a single party control city and it has been for such a long time. Parties only expand their base. They only um, typically recruit candidates that don't look like white guys when they need to compete electorally. And the Democratic Party has not had to compete in the modern era in Boston. So um, they haven't recruited candidates that look more like Boston. Mm -hmm. Tellingly, um, the the candidates, it's uh, Ayanna Presley, who everyone knows from the national stage, Mm -hmm. one of the squad members. She's a black female, and Mm -hmm. she interestingly served with Ayanna Presley and Michelle Wu. She challenged a sitting fairly popular Democratic congressman in a primary and won. And it's like the floodgates sort of opened up. That was what, 2018, right? I think so. Yes. Um, And Michelle, uh, Michelle, Elizabeth Warren had one as well. She was the first female senator from Massachusetts. So the women that have run and shook things up did so uh, despite the uh, Democratic Party apparatus, not because of it. Mm-hmm. And so Mass- or Boston has been um, slower to diversify because the Democratic Party just hasn't had any threats from um, the Republicans here. So I think that's part of it. Yes, the demographics have changed in Boston, but uh, they've changed at about the same pace as uh, some other major cities. And those other major cities were able to elect women, people mm-hmm. of color and or women of color before Boston. So, so this is a long um, time coming. This is yes, this is exactly. A long time this is coming. not. It's not just the demographics finally made Boston um, get a, a, a more diverse mayor or a mayor who looks more like Boston. For the first time in Boston politics, when we had those five individuals that were in the primary, they were all individuals of color, four mm-hmm. women. Three years ago, four years ago, before Ayanna Presley, some white guy would have gotten in because he smelled a lane. He would have thought he's the next heir apparent. For the first time in Boston, that white guy, a lot of people talked about Nick Collins, who's Mm -hmm. the state senator from Mm -hmm. Southie and Dorchester, Mm -hmm. that four years ago, he would have gotten in. And for the first time in Boston politics, he would have paid. He would have had to answer the question, what are you bringing that these other five quality candidates sure. aren't? Sure. And so that's what I think the biggest change in Boston is. So when I was a reporter covering cities, there were three issues that were always prominent. One was safety, which we talked a little bit about. Well, the other was schools. And I understand Boston is wrestling with low performing schools, as is the whole country. Uh, what's the issue there? I mean, what's the stance for the two candidates there? I think they're pretty similar on education issues, but Anissa Asabi George owns the issue more. She was a teacher. She was a classroom teacher. Um, uh, your listeners should, you know, YouTube her, uh, some of her um, political advertisements. I'm not going to do a Boston accent, but, you know, she's, I'm the mother, I'm the teacher, I'm the this, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. And, and so she's making, a, 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 I'm a classroom teacher. Interestingly, both of them um, have school age children's uh, children in Boston city schools. Uh, Michelle Wood's kids are younger. Um, so it's not that they both haven't brought it up. It's just Anissa Sabi George has highlighted or made it more of a top agenda issue. And interestingly, I think the biggest uh, discussion is whether or not Boston does not have, uh, has an appointed school board and not an elected school board. Um, And uh, some of the really good um, uh, magnet schools, Mm -hmm. uh, there's been a lot of controversy about how those exam schools are those exam schools racially biased. Those mm-hmm. are the two ways that uh, Boston City Schools have been talked about the most in this race. And and what are the changes that they're proposing? Is there anything kind of out of the box? Nothing specific, really. Now, if you ask them, they'd say, I've got a lot of specifics <laughs> and all that. Uh, but in terms of how it's resonating with uh, mass publics, um, not huge differences amongst them. Really, the difference is, you know, Anissa Sabi George is saying, uh, I could be a teacher in um, the mayor, the, in the corner office and education's always talked about, but it's a bit back burner. Wouldn't you, doesn't everybody sign a kind of want a classroom teacher to run the city if we need to fix these schools? I like the fact that you brought up the, the, the accent because it has been an issue in the <laughs> yeah. race and she's, yeah. uh, it's really, it's funny because she's out there, she's an Arab American. She grew up in an Irish neighborhood and she I grew up in a traditional Boston neighborhood. Dorchester went, is accent heavy. <laughs> yes. And she went to Catholic schools and she, she promotes the nuns and, uh, you know, so, um, it is funny to hear her say Mada teacher, yeah. Maya. Sounds like a Kennedy, but is that helping her? You know, that's such a good question. Um, again, for, for the first time, she's sort of paying for it. One, uh, there was an influential um, article written in the Globe. It was an opinion piece that, and I am paraphrasing here, but the um, I think it was Joan Venaki, who's a, 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 an opinion writer for the Globe. Um, and she said, or this piece said, that it's a dog whistle, that that Boston accent emphasizing it so much in Anissa Sabi George's um, ads is a dog whistle. And, you know, to me, I'm like, it's Boston and that's where she grew up. <laughs> On the other hand, I do know, she, I think what it's signaling more in this race, and this is something Anissa Sabi George um, brought up when asked is in Boston, it's always been a big deal whether or not you're from Boston originally. Right. Um, like there's bumper stickers, mm-hmm. OFD, originally mm-hmm. from Dor- Dorchester <laughs> that you see all over town. Yeah, it's a big thing. Um, yeah, and uh, Michelle Wu has not, again, four years, eight years ago, it would have been a big deal that Michelle Wu wasn't born and raised in Boston and she went to Harvard, which isn't Boston. <laughs> to a lot of Boston, it's um, bad. Right? Cambridge is not Boston. Right. So I think what the I really think what the accent is, is a proxy for the degree to which one prioritizes being from Boston originally. Mm-hmm. And to your earlier point, the demographics of the city have changed. I think it's only 43 or 47% of individuals who live in the city were born here. That was different. So that's what I think that's playing on. And then Nisa Sabi George herself said, you know, she had a little fun with the accent in a political ad. Well, that's what you're supposed to do in a political ad. But it's, it's a political symbol. 
that is read differently depending on how you grew up and where you sit. And I think that's what it's such a good example of. And this is a century old argument. I mean, I remember, I think it was James Curley was the mayor and he was running against someone who went to Harvard. And he said, this is a Boston person with a Harvard accent trying to emphasize that, hey, this was in 1913 or 1930. Mm -hmm. Trying to emphasize this is an outsider. And he was a four term. Right. But I think, you know, George. In a way, um, and, and this was another thing that's been said about this race, it's old Boston versus new Boston. She represents old Boston because, again, Irish Catholic neighborhood, uh, you know, uh, union backing. Uh, it, is she the old Boston? I mean, as close as it could be in this race? As close as it can be in this race. She's not, if she ran against Marty and she wouldn't have, they're, they're friendly, in 2017 or 2013, she would have been air quotes, scary new Boston, right? Uh, Anissa Sabi George is an imperfect fit for old Boston. I think they're projecting onto her because a Nick Collins or someone like that didn't get in the race. I mean, you know, her father's Tunisian. Her mother was a Polish immigrant. Um, she's Arab. Uh, you know, the, the, that's not old Boston. It's just not. But she's become a proxy for Dorchester, for Southie, um, and uh, her skin color is light. She mm-hmm. um, could pass as white. Um, and so uh, uh, all those dynamics are going to. So, no, she is not old Boston. Um, the, the Boston of Curly, of, you know, Menino, mm-hmm. uh, Anissa Sabi George was still an outsider. But Boston has changed enough that she's being pitched as uh, old Boston, just because new Boston's too new for some. And I love these races because as you're going into it, it's Sunday and Tuesday's the election and everybody, what's going to happen? And it's just, it for you and I, I mean, this is what we live for, oh right? But, uh, you know, and you've been on bazillions of talk shows and, and I but really I appreciate you doing mine. this. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, um, and uh, because a lot of people, when you cover politics, I cover sports. I mean, you got a team here, you got a team here. There's mm-hmm. the good guys, there's the bad guys, there's the, you know. I don't know. I teach sports and politics. <laughs> we should talk about that next time. <laughs> you got it. What are you seeing happening in this race? What do you think is going to happen? I think Michelle Wu is going to win and win pretty handily. Um, she's up by, depending on the poll, 20 or 30 points. And it's it's hard to, to, to properly punctuate for listeners what a big deal that is. She has led ticker to tape against quality candidates, a black woman who became acting mayor, her, the coalition she has put together is young. Um, and I work on a college campus. Uh, it's not a one-to-one relationship between ethnicity and support for, uh, Michelle Wu. Um, and and the fact that she's been able to so dominate this race is such a change in Boston and really speaks to her political acumen. I had been watching thinking, you know, uh, it is that, you know, uh, old Boston, the last gasp of old Boston. Are they going to turn out to the polls on Tuesday? Are they going to, um, you know, really, uh, are there get out the votes efforts going to be just extraordinary? And I was watching for that because I just don't think, I think they've got some punches left in them, but 
it started, it feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy now mm-hmm. in Boston. Mm-hmm. Every endorsement has mm-hmm. gone to Michelle Wu. Mm-hmm. Um, since the primary, there's uh, Anissa Sabi George has had very little to celebrate. So people like to be with the winner. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's a pain in the neck to get out and vote. I want everyone to, but uh, if you feel like your candidate's a foregone um, loser, then I think some people are going to stay home who are actually with Anissa Sabi George. So long answer to, I think Michelle Wu is going to win. And I think she's going to win handily. And when she gets in, there's been reporting that, you know, individually, not as the union, uh, individual police officers, individuals who work within the bureaucracy of City Hall have been donating to Anissa Sabi George. So I think uh, Michelle Wu walks in with a talented bureaucracy, but one that is somewhat resistant towards her. Either way, a new day in Boston. Uh, so tell us a little. You have, you've have you've you've written some wonderful books. So tell us about your previous books, and then you got a new book coming up that we want to talk about. Sure, thank you. Um, my first book was uh, the politics of identity, solidarity building amongst the working poor, and there I spent a year of uh, field feet. Uh, um, uh, I can talk field work uh, (laughs) where I um, worked in a low wage service job and interviewed individuals about what solidarity might look like in low low wage markets, given how poorly people are paid and things like that. Um, The book that I think your um, listeners would have the most uh, interest in, given our conversation today, is The Politics of Massachusetts Exceptionalism. Reputation Meets Reality. Um, That's coming out in early spring, but you can pre-order. But where we really tackled all these tensions of Massachusetts politics, like who's new Boston? Who's old Boston? How is it economic inequality here? You know, you've got Harvard, but you've got such inequality. And you've got such a blue state, but we don't elect women. Um, We don't elect people of color. So really digging into the differences between how Massachusetts is perceived and what's really going on on the ground. Uh, My uh, co-author, Gerald Duquette, he has a more rosy picture and I have a less rosy picture. And so it makes for an interesting tension throughout the book. It's a political laboratory, really. I mean, yep. it, it's a political laboratory, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much for joining us. I know that you had tons of stuff going on, many, many interviews, so we really appreciate you coming in and jumping in and really adding a lot of insight. I'm, I'm excited about this race just just because, and uh, just because of the historic nature of it. Even if Wu wins by a big, uh, big, big margin, it is a, uh, a very, very nice um thing to see in Boston. Well, I am smiling big on the other end. I really appreciate you doing this work um, and the listeners, and it takes a team to do a really good podcast and ask these questions. So I, 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 with real gratitude, I say thank you for your time. And when you get your book out in the spring, we're going to have you back. Talk a little bit about that. Right on. I'll quit my job real soon. (laughs) (laughs) Academic publishing, I might make a hundred dollars. I've been been there. I've been there. I'll I'll see you at the meetings. (laughs) 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 All right. And we will be back next week with another thrilling edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. Until then, always remember, read beyond the headlines. Have a great week. With the front row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported, not invented or twisted. 
Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career covering political corruption, scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, The Front Row, is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.